Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Let's Talk Tri-Delta. I'm your host and Tri-Delta CEO, Karen White. We are so glad you joined us today. We are thrilled to welcome today's guest, Horizon League Commissioner and Millican alumna, Julie Rowe Latch. A student athlete herself, Julie is a passionate advocate for student athletes, and she's been a leader in the world of college sports for 25 years. We're going to talk with her today about her journey from Millican to sports management to sports law and her current position with the Horizon League and how Tri-Delta played a role in shaping her career as a lawyer, leader, and advocate. Julie, welcome. Thank you, Karen. It's great to be with you. Really excited. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, listen, looking back at your college days, you were a student athlete at Millican, um, basketball player, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you you talked about um, making a conscious decision to join a sorority. So will you tell our listeners a little more about what led to that decision? Sure. Well, and I, I, I don't think I told you before when we first met, my parents were both in the Greek system. And so I'd, I'd always heard fond stories and and they and their friendships that they, that they developed. And then my older brother was in the Greek system. So I had a little bit of a strong example. Um, mm-hmm. However, when I went to college, I was thinking I was very focused on basketball and I was very focused on academics. So I thought I'm going to be the student and an athlete. And that's pretty much all I'm going to have time for. And then I, I did go through Rush that first semester and I, I decided I'm going to hold off because I was committed to basketball and academics. And then I started to see sorority sisters around campus. And I thought, you know, I think I'm missing out on something here. And I became friends with some tri-delts who were in some of my classes and, and some other sororities too. But I, I especially like some tri-delts. So I went through informal rush in the spring and I pledged tri-delts. I was fortunate enough to be invited. And I think I told you when I went to my first basketball practice wearing my Greek letters. Yeah, how was there that? was a little bit of shock. Because <laughs> nobody else on the basketball team had was a member of sorority yet. And so I, I got a little bit of ribbing, um, but, <laughs> but my team fully accepted the decision. And that was as a freshman. By my senior year, over half the team um, had pledged a house. Right. Some tried else and some others. That is awesome. You you set the pace, you set the example. And so, so you joined Tridelta second semester mm-hmm. um, and then you decide to live in the chapter house. So not only do you join a sorority, but you're going to move right in. What was it like to live in the chapter house at Milliken? I loved it. I, I lived there my sophomore, um, junior, senior years. And I, I just, I, I liked being in the dorm and it was fun. I love being in the sorority house, you know, as, yeah. as basic as being able to sleep in the cold dormers, I still say it was the best sleep I ever had in my life. <laughs> to <sleeping> just, <laughs> right. So even just frankly, breaking bread, uh, you know, the dinners I loved and it was, that was time when I was around people that had a very different day than I did, especially focused on athletics and training and everything. So, and I, I had really deep ties with my sisters. So I just, I really, I value the time. And then we called it the card realm, which was the TV realm then because people didn't watch TV on um, Netflix. I know I'm really aging myself. Right. <laughs> we actually gathered are, right? around the TV and watched Friends. Yeah, so that was cool. And we studied in the basement and the chapter room. So I just, I, I loved like no matter which room you went in, there was somebody different doing something different. And that that just really appealed to me. Yeah, it's just the best. We talk about it as being a once in a lifetime experience because, you know, you can't go back and do it. Right. Uh, right. You do it when right. you do it. 
I, I say all the time, I'd go back to 1111 South Millage Avenue at the University of Georgia today, right? Right. Um, what a great experience. So we've had the chance to talk a little bit before um, about the parallels that you found between sorority and sports, and especially those concepts of teamwork and leadership. Um, so as you think back about all of that, how do you think those experience helped shape your career? Well, to to just amplify that first point, I, I see so many parallels between being a, a really a strong contributing member of a sorority because it is a team and you're trying to move this team forward towards the goals and the values of the sorority. And of course, for Tri-Delta, you know, our commitment with St. Jude and the, and we had a lot of di different philanthropic endeavors that we undertook as a chapter, but then we wanted to compete in the spring games and it, whether, and then the, I can't remember what they called it, but essentially where people with musical talent were able to go in the front for competition and people like me stood in the back when the, we had <laughs> the Greek week, yeah, the Greek <laughs> week competitions. Yeah. But, but, but then larger, like coming together to live in a house and there were roles and responsibilities and working through the team dynamics of that and leadership and support and understanding that and accountability and it was very similar to being on a basketball team in terms of you need a leader, you need supporting roles, you've got to hold one another accountable. If somebody's not pulling their weight, you got to have those hard conversations. So both of those, I felt like very much prepared me for my career where I was really fortunate to be given a leadership opportunity. Some would say too soon, um, but I was supervising a team in my mid-20s and I felt like I very much was prepared for that because of my ex experience as a vice president in the sorority and my experience as a captain on our basketball team. N not completely for sure, but definitely I, I could at least hit the ground jogging, so to speak, once I was asked to try to lead a team of people in a work environment. That's awesome. Well, I know you started your career as an intern with the NCAA, right? right. So it started there. But tell us more about your career journey. Sure. So it was actually thanks to my basketball coach that I even found out about this internship, which the NCAA still has. So it's 25 plus years later, they still have full-time paid year-long internships, which is a springboard for anybody that wants to work in sports. There it is. And I, I, I was fortunate to be hired into enforcement, had no real idea what that meant, but it sounded really interesting. And so I joined <laughs> as an intern in enforcement and was surrounded immediately by great mentors in the national office that was in Kansas City. Yeah. which was a good life lesson because shortly after I joined, they announced they were relocating the headquarters to Indianapolis. Wow. Yeah. So it was a really good time to be an intern because a lot of people were not making the move to Indianapolis. Yeah. So <laughs> there are a lot of opportunities for those of us eager and willing to move wherever in order to have, have a great job. And that, of course, I put my hand up immediately and I was able to be hired into the eligibility department and, and was able, then I stayed, had different jobs there, but stayed there for about 15 years. Wow. Well, and enforcement and eligibility, it's not like taking on anything um, too ambitious there, right? <laughs> we were, you know, thankfully this was really, when, when I oversaw eligibility, we had a high, very high profile cases, a lot of shoe gate cases. Oh, and yeah. it was the, the dawn of the AAU era in men's basketball. Yeah. Social media did not exist then, thankfully. Oh, right, right. <laughs> or I probably wouldn't have slept much, um, but <laughs> They, we we essentially were adjudicating eligibility cases and and obviously trying to do it in a very fair way. I always, and I'll, sometimes we would hold student athletes out of competition yeah. or suspend their eligibility for a period of time. And 
those were the toughest cases for me because I was a student athlete. So I really understood if you're benching them for even one game, that's a big darn deal in their life. And that means something. And, and the people I was surrounded by at the national office, they felt the same way. So we didn't take we didn't take the work lightly and we tried not to take ourselves too seriously for sure. But we understood that uh, we, we were dealing with some pretty important issues, at least in terms of who, who it would impact. Sure. Sure. Now from the NCAA, tell us more. Where'd you go? Where have you been? Sure. So I, I stayed in eligibility for a little bit. And while there, I got my law degree at night at Indiana University McKinney School of Law here in Indianapolis. And then I moved into major infractions. So that was essentially traveling around and investigating the cases you read about in the headlines. And I had a team of investigators, all lawyers. So it's a little bit like the show Law and Order, except we were both the cop and the prosecutor. So (laughs) you had to go around and gather the evidence, interview people, often high high profile coaches represented by lawyers. So I have a lot of fun stories, um, maybe for a separate podcast someday. (laughs) Absolutely. And then we would turn into prosecutor if we thought that rules had been violated and take that case before a committee on infractions. So it was, I did that for a while and rose to the ranks of vice president of enforcement, uh, which was a lot of responsibility. And I really enjoyed that. And after 15 years, it was time to move on. So I moved on and started a law practice, a sports law practice with a firm here in Indianapolis. And we were the first female-led sports law practice in the country, which we were pretty excited about. Yes. And we're able to grow that representing schools and coaches being investigated. So it was fun to step on the other side and be an advocate and really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, given that, right, of course, so so after your law practice, though, there's yours, another stop, right? And yes, there is. The Horizon League. So talk to us about the Horizon League. So I was fortunate as after working with the law firm, the Horizon League, which is a division one conference headquartered here in Indianapolis. So we like to joke, we do everything the Big Ten and the SEC do, just a few less zeros. So (laughs) we deal with TV and governance and NCA issues, just not quite the billions, we're in the millions, lower millions. So um, the Horizon League headquartered here. They created a number two spot, a chief operating officer, deputy commissioner, and I was fortunate enough to get that job and and remain of counsel with the law firm, which I was thankful for, and stayed with the Horizon League in that role for about five years. And then when my predecessor and mentor retired, John, he I was named commissioner a few years ago. That is terrific. So give us a snapshot of the Horizon League, Division One, right? Who right. are you responsible for? What are you doing? And who are you representing? We, I always say we really, our job is to amplify the good work that our 11 universities do, providing opportunities for 3,000 student athletes. So we've got 11 universities spanning from Pittsburgh, which is one of our private schools, Robert Morris University, all the way up to Green Bay, University of Green Bay, and obviously Green Bay, Wisconsin, down to Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati. And we're in a six state, 10 city footprint, which is really fun because we, we for the most part, are in these metropolitan environments, which makes it a pretty cool experience for our student athletes. Yeah. And we do everything from manage the TV opportunities to put this great competition on one of the ESPN platforms to work through and say governance and rule changes. And what does that mean for us? And probably the, the most fun is we host 19 championships. So there's really not a slow season. People think in June and July, all we do is air up basketballs. We do do a little more than that, but there are no championships. So it is a bit of a breather, but we then we have a lot of meetings to talk about 
how can we improve? What are our policies? And, and then what are some initiatives that we want to take on? Yeah. Well, now I think it probably goes without saying to our listeners, but given your career and your career path, you've spent a lot of time working with and around men, right? Um, and predominantly male uh, environments. So besides being obviously incredibly smart, super qualified, um, how have you navigated being a female executive in such a major male dominated industry? Um, it hasn't always been easy. And we'll say yeah. that, yeah. state the obvious, because sometimes people think it is. It's not, it's, it's not easy to be the minority, I think, in any environment, whether it's a person of color, a female, um, an underrepresented class. Um, so I think that's, it, it's hopefully created more empathy on my part, because I have often been either the only female or one of the few females in the room. The, I, and I have some funny stories about that. When I was named vice president of enforcement, I was the first female in that role. And I was invited to the Southeastern Conference Athletics Directors meeting. And at the time it was, I'm dating myself. I think they only had 12 members compared to you know the, their size today, but I was in the room with all of the athletics directors and their number two, um, basically deputy athletics directors and they go around and introduce themselves at the commissioner's request, different commissioner then, and it was all men. Oh wow! And and I'm in the room, and I'm seven months pregnant with my first <laughs> firstborn. So not only am I female, I'm clearly female. So <laughs> uh, they go around the room and they come to me, and I of course introduce myself, and then I said, and to try to help the numbers, I went ahead and brought another female with me. And, <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. And um, like one person laughed and nobody <laughs> else. <laughs> that is, that, I mean, that's priceless. Cause you know, first of all, nobody even wanted to ask you if you were pregnant. I mean, you know, in a room full of right. men like that, that is hilarious. I love it. And, that. <laughs> and to your, to your good question, I think part of it is you got to have a little levity, but yet it's okay to bring, shed some light on the issue. Uh, whenever you think you do need to try to move the needle. Um, and that's, so that's part of it is you try to navigate it with a little bit of humor, but also as I, I mean, to, I always make sure I'm overprepared. Maybe that's the athlete in me and you, you can tell pretty quick when, you know, just as much, if not more than whoever it is sitting across the table. So the intimidation factor, I don't let get to me, but there's, there are definitely times where I notice it. I think now in my current position, Thankfully, the athletic director rooms have diversified. The president rooms have diversified. The one room that has not is the coaching room. So when I'm sitting with our 11 head men's basketball coaches, they know I'm the commissioner, but it's taken me a while for, the, to, for them to one know. I know exactly what a zone defense is and a full court press because I did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you don't have to have done it in order to be in this role. So it helps a little bit, but I do think establishing credibility sometimes is just a hoop you have to jump through. Well, and um, I'm sure you've jumped through many, right, to, to get <laughs> to where you are. And now you have two athletes of your own, um, that little athlete you brought with you to that first meeting, right, That's as right. a basketball player, one of two daughters. What's it like to be on the sidelines now instead of on the court it's um I, I it's a privilege and an honor. I mean, I always say I feel like parenting, you get like a front row seat to the best show on earth. 
Yeah. And, and I will say like raising two daughters, of course I'm biased because that's all I know, but it's, it is really special. And I, I, I so believe in the value of athletics and it doesn't mean they need to play travel ball or have scholarships or anything like that. It's just the leadership development that comes from that, whether it's rec sports or the, our oldest loves to play the saxophone. Great. If, if the performing arts is your, your way of growth and development, do it, just find your passion. So it is, I, I will tell you, we never boo officials in our house. So of course not, you know, right? um, on the, and so we always have good sportswomanship is what I call it. Um, and I have definitely learned um, just perspective, right? I mean, it all, it always comes back to perspective, but I, I love watching them do their thing. And I've also realized they've outgrown my coaching ability. So I've had to retire to the sidelines and just That's my, yeah. be a really, a really good cheerleader. Sometimes my um, tongue might be bleeding because I'm biting it, but that's okay. <laughs> yes. Many of us, right. Who have that's right. sidelines or, or still maybe we're sitting on the sidelines. So to that end, um, you see a lot of parents and players, right? So is there any advice you'd give our listeners about how best to support their sons and daughters in athletics? I, and I wish I had, and I'm sorry I don't, but I read a quote actually at a middle school game and it was on the program and I thought it captured it um, the best. It essentially said, your child, you, you're here as a parent and that is your only role is to cheer positively for anything that happens on the court, whether it's your son or daughter's team or the other team, you should be cheering for excellence in sport, period. And then the next part went on to say, your son or daughter's performance in terms of the points they score, because this was on a basketball program, the rebounds they have, the assists they make, is zero reflection on you, your parenting, or your contributions. What is a reflection on you is their character, how well they listen to their coach, do they pick up their teammate when they fall down, do they respect the official, and it had this laundry list of check, check, like, that I just, it really resonated with me because that at the end of the day, like that is really what matters. We're still talking about kids. Right. And just raising good humans on our own through yes. sports, right? All of the things. Now, I happen to know that you're very passionate about raising good humans or continuing to raise them through the Horizon League, right? And um, so many challenges that student athletes face today. Um, we're going to get into that a little more when you join us for a lead network session in November, which I'm excited about. Me too. Um, it's going to be great, right? So we're going to learn a little bit more about Horizon League and all the things that you're leading. But I know you've got a real heart for the mental health of your players um, and all the challenges they're facing from name, image, and likeness, right, to sports wagering, to just social media, what kinds of things are you doing to help your athletes focus on their overall well-being? Yeah, and you you really summarize some of the pressures well, and that's a lot of those pressures happen for all of our students. I know you and I have talked about as you're trying to help all of the Tri-Deltas across the country, recognizing the challenges they face are different than five, 10 years ago. Yeah, And we have to do the same thing for our collegiate athletes because the challenges are different today than five, 10 years ago. And the challenges, it seems like a five years ago, haven't gone away. We've just added to them. And, and, and part of that is some real mental health issues that predated the pandemic just seem to be 
amplified or perhaps even more, um, we've, we've shined a light on some of them, which I think is a good thing, um, but also helping um, student athletes be aware of anxiety, stress, and coping mechanisms around that. And our presidents and chancellors have supported me and setting aside over half a million dollars into a mental health grant that then we have distributed back to our members to figure out where to meet their, how to best meet their student athletes where they are, whether it's counseling, counseling, whether it's meditation rooms, but really being creative with input from our student athletes. And that's, that is important. And that's one piece. We now are launching um, a different series online yeah. to try to create space on our campuses where we can facilitate conversations with trained mental health professionals. And we've asked Kate Fagan, who's a, a national bestselling author who wrote the book, What Made Maddie Run? And she, we had a symposium last week, a webinar, and we have another one the first week of October, um, which is good timing. That's a mental health awareness um, month on, on campuses. So there's a lot more work to do, but I think even just framing, starting to shine some light on this important issue is a huge first step. Well, you know, you and I have talked, Tridelta doing the same thing, our Behind Happy Faces program. Yes. Um, and our SOAR student success program, which actually provides Tridel to women with 24-7 access to, to mental health care, right? That is fantastic because that's a lot of people don't know what to do when they're in the moment. There's the triage and then there's I'm not feeling quite right. How can I start to redirect? Yeah, I, I love that Tridelta is doing that. Well, and it's, I mean, you know, it's as we see your, from your position to ours, right? We see students struggling on campus, right? And right. I, I love that we're surrounding them with um, some love and some care. So um, I've saved the best question for last, right? You are a busy woman, no doubt. Uh, but but you still have Tridelta sort of active in your life. You still are enjoying lifetime membership in Tridelta. Um, how does that manifest for you with some best friends that surround you? Yes. So I'm really fortunate. I have two very good friends from college, my sorority sisters that live in this Indianapolis area. So we get together at least once a month and now we've made it a family affair. So I think this is going to make me sound a little maybe immature, but for my birthday in a couple of weeks, we're all going to laser tag with our families. That's awesome. <laughs> so we'll have um, with, with some other friends too, but we, anytime we get together, there's Tri Delta reminiscing, Millican reminiscing. One of my sort of sisters, we also played basketball together. So there's some basketball stories. So now our husbands just roll their eyes and tolerate it. <laughs> but well, we, it's, it's been really special. We've got some Delta dudes t shirts coming. Your oh, way. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> they can fit right in. Um, all are welcome into the Delta Love family. So happy birthday, by the way, in a couple. Oh, thank of you. <laughs> and I have a, a quick follow-up to your last question. Our 13-year-old, yeah. we were driving someplace um, the other day, and we we're talking about this coming week. And I said, I had this podcast to record with you. And she said, well, she's she already thinks she's going to be a Boilermaker. She said, when I go to Purdue, I'm going to be a tri-delt. <laughs> yes, so I thought, well, we're, we're doing something right. <laughs> she's already planning on that. So I need to tell my two sisters that we get together all the time that she wants to follow in our footsteps. But I thought that was the ultimate testimony to being a Tri-Delta. We, it really we are, we're is. We're already recruiting. 
And there it is, always recruiting, right? And that is right. a great testimony for a 13-year-old to think we're doing something right. That's Julie, right. thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It was terrific. Thanks. Well, listen, you can hear more from Julie during our November Lead Network session. Uh, that's on Tuesday, November 7th at noon. We'll be talking more about the major initiatives, that word is purposeful, that she's leading in the Horizon League. We're going to dig a little deeper into women in sports and Julie's work with WeCoach, a nonprofit organization dedicated to recruiting, advancing, and retaining women coaches in all sports at all levels. You will not want to miss that session. And don't worry, there's still time for you to join the Lead Network. Visit tridelta.org backslash our members backslash lead with three D's today. And as a dues paying member of Tridelta, you can join Lead Network for just $33. As always, thanks for joining our podcast today. When you get a minute, please like, subscribe, and rate Let's Talk Tri-Delta. We love five-star ratings. Thanks again. Until next time, Delta love.